Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I'm here with Chuck, Matt. Father Chuck, I am an ordained minister. Ordained, ordained minister, Father Chuck. <laughs> He's here with me, and we were just talking about uh, DC making not one but two Joker movies. No, I, and one of these Joker movies has replaced uh, a, a movie that was coming down the pipe that already had a director, writer, and a cast set to go. Uh, not Maybe not an entire cast. It's the Gotham City Sirens. Now it's being replaced by the Joker and Harley Quinn movie. And now we, we also have the Martin Scorsese produced and Todd Phillips directed Joker origin film that should be taking place in the 80s in Gotham City. And uh, can Chuck, I, can, is ru- Chuck is rubbing his eyes just, furiously. It's alleged. These are alleged movies. Um, oh, they're slated. I don't care if they're slated. They slate stuff all the time. Um, I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, as I was saying before we started, I hate the Joker. <laughs> I never thought I'd get to that place in my life where I'd say that I hate, but I hate the Joker. Uh, do you hate the Joker or do you, do you hate? the the weird kind of fandom and worship that surrounds the joker probably the, probably the latter i mean i joker i mean when joker shows up at the comics what I, what i appreciate in dc comics is that joker is pretty sparingly used yeah. he only shows up every couple of years in batman comics and when he does it's kind of an event and i'm okay with that i'm cool with that um I, I sort of roll my eyes because I think – I mean I, I hate to say it, but I think there are more interesting villains. I think Riddler is a more interesting villain for Batman than the Joker. Uh, Mr. Freeze is – Mr. Freeze is a great villain. Interesting. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, uh, sure, whatever. Okay, so the Joker shows every now and then. He's not bad. I mean, it's not a big deal in the comics, you know. And I, I, I just I'm, – I'm just so over, yeah, the fanboy worshiping of the Joker because, it, one, it bothers me. Because he's depicted as a character who's like, you know, he's like murdered children and stuff. And we're supposed to, like, I don't know. So we're going to make a movie where, what? He's sympathetic? We're supposed to... You could turn turn him into like an anti-hero. Like, the fact that it's produced by by Martin Scorsese, the origin movie, kind of tells me that they're kind of probably going for like a taxi driver kind of thing. Even though that is, I don't know. Like that's that that that's, that's misguided, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, because the whole thing about the Joker is that reality is a joke. Yeah, and he he is not. I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, this was talked about on the very first episode of our podcast. <laughs> it was. You're very right. Um, so maybe this should be our last episode. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, I, I just. I don't. I don't understand anymore. The well, there's there's a couple of things that we do, JP, to villains in movies, and I, and I know yeah. we'll, we're going to get into our topic here in a minute. But I, what we do to villains is either we try to make them sympathetic, mm-hmm. or we try to give them an origin story, and both things are terrible for villains. You know. Yeah. Because you think about you think about the Rob Zombie Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween tried to give us an origin story for Michael Myers, and that's a character who doesn't need an origin story. One, the Halloween, the original Halloween movie gives him the origin story, the only one he ever needed. Right. Um, and we need villains. We need them. We don't need to see them 
be good. We don't need to understand where they're coming from. You know, I, you know, I, and what 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 also gets me and, and, and seems surprisingly tone deaf to me in in this idea of making two movies where the Joker is sort of the protagonist of the movie is. James Holmes, the guy who shot the movie theater in Aurora, California, was or Colorado, was calling himself the Joker. Yeah, you know, I I I, I think we that's the wrong approach. You need to we need heroes like we need Superman, guys. We need Superman to really be Superman. I don't know. I mean, you're you're right, Chuck. Um, but do you think that there's ever a time when a villain can be a protagonist of, of, a, of a movie? I mean, it's I mean, it's happened all throughout cinema, where you know something like an Amer- like American Psycho, or it's sort of a I don't know, just sort of like an examination. Sometimes used satirically. Sometimes, um, I mean, do you think there's no room for that in, in something like DC or in, in the superhero genre of films going on right now? I mean, it's. It, I, I or even think, a movie that's, that's sort of a, as complicated as like a movie like Unforgiven. If we're talking about genres like in westerns, so they're usually pretty black and white. But then a movie like Unforgiven comes along. Clint Eastwood, he made, he he's a he's a bad man. i with a really bad history. And we have we have way too many dark movies, dark examinations of our culture. All of that. Look, just give. Why can't we just have goodness again? You know, Marvel is kind of shown. That we, for crying out loud, Captain America has become a valid and, a pop and popular superhero franchise. We never, JP, when we were in college, if you had said they were making a Captain America movie, we would have laughed. And if you told yeah. us in, you know, in 10 years time, it's going to be one of the highest, you know, grossing film franchises on the planet, we would have, we would have smacked someone. But it shows to me that we actually do want to see heroes being heroic, yeah. I mean, I feel like that's been talked about a lot in, 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 in film and comic book circles and stuff. And so I don't get why we keep going back to this well of like we're going to – I mean what? So we're just going to make movies for 14-year-old boys, 14-year-old white boys? That's just what we're doing now? Um, that, that, that's that sweet spot that uh, – was it 13 to 25-year-olds? I, I, I don't know. I, just, I, I think in the – considering the fact that 20s and – that 20, 30-year-old white males – in large numbers are to go back to our last week's episode are parading Nazi flags around. Maybe we need to put the villains away for a little while and really focus on heroism. Um, I mean, unless the idea is we're going to really show what villainy is like in order to, to, to do it. But here's the thing is most people don't get satire. Satire is one of the toughest idea, like one of the toughest um, senses of humor for, you know, forms of humor for people to, to grasp. I mean, case in point, Fight Club. Right. Tyler Durden is the villain of that movie. Tyler Durden is a bad, bad person. And the number of college dudes who put quotes of him on their Facebook walls, on their Instagram, how many of them have posters, you know. Or my favorite, Scarface. Or Yeah. <laughs> These are bad people. You're not supposed to want to be them. You're not supposed to idolize them. I'm like, yeah, we're going right back to the very first episode of this podcast. And, <laughs> and yet, here we go. We're doing it again. Well, and, you know, I mean, it, it, I think maybe it comes in waves because, you know, I think about one of my all-time favorite movies 
is uh, Arthur Penn's Bonnie and Clyde that came out in the 60s mm-hmm. with uh, Faye Dunaway, Warren Beatty, yeah. Gene Hackman. Um, and, uh, you know, they advertise that movie as they're young, they're in love, and they kill people. And that's what it is. I mean, it's a, story, it's a story of Bonnie and Clyde, and it's a very romanticized version of it. I mean, it, I mean, it, it definitely ends with them being, like, slaughtered by the police. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, of that era of, like, not really anti-heroes, but it's like, I don't know. It's a great movie. It's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and when, when it came out, young people loved it. Like, people were dressing up as Bonnie and Clyde and stuff. Like, you know, early examples of cosplay. Bringing back fedoras and pearl necklaces and, yeah, and berets. And, 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 look, and look what's happened when, with, with fedoras, JP. <laughs> That's true. Or trilbies, actually. <laughs> Maybe Joker will, will wear a fedora. Honestly, that's see. Uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's the next step. Can I take a moment? <laughs> I want to take a moment to acknowledge. I don't know if I've had a, a really an opportunity to do this on this podcast. Maybe I did. I don't remember. But I actually love Jared Leto's Joker. Can I say <laughs> that I actually love his Joker? And why I love his Joker is because of how angry his Joker made people when they first showed him. Yeah. And to me, his Joker is precisely what the Joker is supposed to be, which is someone you don't want to be, yeah. someone that Batman is supposed to punch. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the fact that that Joker, you know, because he, he suddenly he wasn't cool. You know, people were like, "Oh, Joker's not cool." Oh, I I feel like I'm repeating myself, but oh my gosh, the Joker's not supposed to be cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a fascinating – I'm sure there's a fascinating study out there that we could read about you know, why we're drawn to villainous characters. I mean, let's, I mean, I'll acknowledge that Darth Vader, Boba Fett are cool, and they are way cooler than Doctor Luke. Doom. Doom. Or, you know, all – come on. All of the Cobra action figures were so much cooler <laughs> than the G.I. Joes. Yeah. You know? So Decepticons way cooler than Autobots. You know, I get it. I get it. There's a there's there there's there's something about it there that would be interesting to to find out why we're into that. But I do wonder about the ramifications of it in our society and the fact that there's so much hate, there's so much wickedness that do we really is it really is it really responsible to keep giving these unhinged people folk heroes to gravitate to? Um, That's a good question. Um, but that being said, maybe we should get to our topic. We should. Let's let's transition to our topic. Uh, why this is sort of being brought up is uh, because we're going to talk about heroes today. Maybe next week we can talk about villains. But heroes. Um, and, and not the NBC <laughs> television show. Right. Oh, why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs> um, what kind of spawned this for me is actually last week I was watching uh, The Dark Knight. Still a great movie, by the way. Really awesome movie. But almost and, 10 uh, years old. I know. I know. It's so weird. Um, and one thing that always sticks out to me about that film is the time in which it came out. Um, it's a very opposed to 9-11 film. Uh, a film that came out when we were, you know, still in Iraq, um, still trying to give Iraq freedom. (laughs) 
Um, and you'll, you'll take this freedom and you'll like it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I actually remember talking about this movie with a, with a colleague of mine and in, in, in the festival circuit. And I was kind of singing my praises to it. And he was actually the one that sort of enlightened me and what it was actually about and why he didn't like the movies, because he's like, the point of the whole movie is that heroes don't exist. Hmm. And that um, that's sort of the message of the movie is that there are no heroes because it does end with Gordon telling his son that Batman is not a hero. You know, he's a Washington protector. He's he's a silent guard and he's a dark knight, and, you know, smash cut. That made me think we haven't really talked about heroes. Uh, you know, our own personal heroes, what it actually means to be a hero. Do heroes exist? Uh, how does one stop being a hero? How does one become a hero? Uh, do we ha- Do you have heroes? Um, so let me ask you, Father Chuck. Yeah. What is your personal opinion on um, what a hero is? Somebody who is good, who does good, and inspires others to do good as well. I I, I will say, since for me, for me, like the archetype of hero to me will will always be Superman. Okay. And and I think and and that's and that's what Superman is. He is just he is he is good. He is a good man, and he does good, and he does it knowing that people look up to him and want to emulate what he is going to do and want to aspire to something like that. And so he, he exists in order to not only to do what no one else can do, but also to be a source of inspiration so that people can be their best. Right. Um, I mean, that's in my head, that's the archetype of, of heroism. Um, well, and, and, you know, (coughs) when I think of like heroes, I try to think, I mean, usually what I kind of conjure up is someone that is always good. Mm-hmm. Someone that always can always make the right decision, um, no matter what kind of pressure they're under. Like, it's almost sort of inherent. But, I don't know, as you kind of get older and you experience the world more, uh, that sort of idea kind of becomes non-existent right like is there anyone that actually is that good can anyone that's why i I think that's why the idea that there are no heroes is is sort of like uh, affects me because it kind of makes sense because yeah this sort of definition that our culture kind of has for a hero maybe doesn't really exist maybe i well uh, let me let me let me elaborate a little bit too my as you're talking things i'm thinking about is yeah, I realize I'm a talking. I'm talking about an archetype. I'm talking about an ideal. Yeah. Um, a myth. A myth. I'm talking about a myth. And the right. word hero itself is a mythological term. You know, the hero. I mean, heroism. If I, I I'm, is is rooted in. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, the. Um, I think more often than not. More often than not. Heroes, there, there in re, in real life, there is no like hero. Like this is you. You're a hero. Right. But there are people who are heroic, who in moments are heroes. Mm-hmm. So you know you can be a hero 
and you can be a villain. I mean, that's the way we live. That that's the world we live in. Um, depending on you know how you act and what you do, um, and I. So I think that you know. So so we're trying to talk about something on a general concept of heroism. Yeah, I have this idea, but I think that in the practical, real nature of the world we live in, hero being being a hero is a is a is something that happens at a moment in time place yeah um and i think that if you because we are flawed sinful human beings um i'm not gonna say it. i, I really can i we don't don't cut this but i just i i actually have i don't know i don't like saying that anymore i feel so forced what flawed sinful human beings i mean yeah we sin we're humans and we oh, sin just- but just think of other actors. I don't know. The thing of fly. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I could get on a, the- a theological thing right now because I'm I'm having some been lately having some new thoughts about all of that. But um, um, and um, anyway, I I think that when you set yourself up to say I'm a hero, I'm going to be a hero, and you're going to live to the heroic ideal, you are setting yourself up for failure. Because you're never going to do that. You're going to do something. Because once you set yourself up that you put yourself on a pedestal and now you're opening yourself up to a ton of scrutiny. And once people start scrutinizing you, they're going to see the cracks. They're going to see it, you know, because you're not a divine being, which is what heroes are. Um, Right. So, yeah. So now I, I understand that Matthew wants to chime in. So we should let him in. I made it. I'm here. Uh, I'm glad, you know what, Matt, I am so glad, uh, that you're here for this episode that we're talking about this, uh, topic because, uh, you are a police officer now. And, uh, I would say what you do, uh, probably calls for you to be pretty heroic, uh, you know, cause in, in our culture, American culture, you know, people in the military, uh, firefighters, uh, paramedics, policemen, service people are considered to be our heroes. They're the heroes in our, in our culture. Has anyone called you a hero yet, Matt? Um, n- no, I have, I have not been called a hero. Okay. I've been told thank you randomly lots of times, but well, that's I, same I have thing. not been called a hero. <laughs> um, no, well, this, what do you this, think of- this got awkward right away. I'm just is it awkward? Why is it awkward? Yeah. <laughs> because I, I got on the phone, wasn't expecting to talk about me, so that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Well, I mean, I, this is part of the, the discussion that I wanted to have was about, mm-hmm. um, you know, how. I mean, I don't know if other cultures do it, but I know our culture is pretty adamant about labeling our service people as heroes. I do think we use the word way too much, and we apply it to too much. I mean, uh, as a surfer. I remember them talking about like guys surfing these like massive waves you have to tow in on, and they were referring to them as like heroic, and like in the classical sense, I guess because it's superhuman feats that they're you know it's kind of the idea of they're achieving something superhuman. But you know when we think of like people who are who are you know giving their lives for the sake of something good or for the sake of others, dropping in on a big wave is not exactly (laughs) heroism. Not exactly like. Yeah, not nine, not like nine eleven responders. Or... I don't know, man. You're like battling yeah. sharks out there and stuff. <laughs> to Matt, it's pretty heroic. <laughs> um, or or stupid, but anyway. <laughs> you know, surfing, by the way, in case that comment got lost in the midst of all your talk about other heroes, 
um, stupid. I was referring to surfers, <laughs> not, not any yeah. of the other, other things that came up. <laughs> um, yeah. Hmm. All right. Um, well, so I, I did a quick, uh, Google, Google, Google foo on, um, someone that was considered to be a hero by the public and by the media. And, uh, once they were considered a hero after a good week or so, uh, there were certain outlets. I don't remember which ones, um, kind of irrelevant, but, um, that kind of tried to, I guess, dig up some dirt on him for some reason. And I remember the conversation being like, either shut up, we don't care or, um, wow, you, you just don't know, you know, like, I don't know. I think it kind of messed with people. Uh, but I'm talking about Charles Ramsey. Um, do you guys remember that name? I sounds familiar. He's the guy that found, uh, the three girls who were kidnapped. Oh, right. And held captive for like a decade. And, uh, you know, he was, he's the one that found them and, and he, uh, reported them to the police and he was sort of like a media sensation, but wasn't he one of the first like auto tune? I believe he was auto tune because his, I believe his, his whole auto tune version of that is the inspiration of the title music from Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember that happening and people being like, yeah, that guy's a hero. And it's like, he didn't really have to do much. He just had to like, I mean, he saw these girls, they were in trouble. He called the police, you know? Um, but then I remember people like the news kind of like digging up some dirt on him to like say he had like an abusive past or. A lot of media outlets. And I don't want to say all media outlets cause that's generalizing and nonsensical, but a lot of media outlets like to go for, because they know it'll sell papers and sell magazines and get clicks on websites i guess i should say for the millennials um i think that it does it definitely generates a buzz so there is a a group of people that like to see others fail and i think it comes from a place of um only word i can think of is narcissism where they want to they want to see themselves as equal or better than the other person. Therefore, to watch them fail is like, see, he's not better than I am. Um, and I think that we all tend to struggle with that. So there's outlets that like to feed off that side of, of human nature that likes to, to make ourselves feel better. In general, people are looking for someone who, who will stand above the rest and take a stand for things that are, that are better and will put their put their own needs aside to go after helping those who who are more powerless and unable to help themselves um because to me that's what my understanding and i think that hero i agree with uh father chuck it's a word that's overused it's kind of like love in the english language it's way overused um and i think hero is also so i think there's a few different concepts of hero we have we use the word hero when it's somebody that we idolize like uh it's a like a director JP wants to be like. He'll be like, oh, that's like my hero. Um, and we'll use it for things like that. And then we'll use it, like you were saying, for service people and call them heroes in general. Um, and then there's legitimate heroes who, who stand out in history as having lived a life. And to me, honestly, a name that pops into my head whenever 
I'm th- when I was thinking of this topic, trying to come up with what we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. honestly, a name that came to my head is Mother Teresa. It's okay. it's somebody who who devotes her entire life to helping less fortunate and those in need. And I don't necessarily mean like, oh, they're literally out feeding the hungry, but like she was caring for people. But it's people who live a life that for the most part, yes, they're human. Yes, they, they have faults. But for the most part, their life can be can be can be seen as being centered around helping other people and placing placing a better a better idea of humanity above their own need, their own personal needs and goals, setting that aside in order to pursue something that shows um, a better a better way for humanity to live. If I'm, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up Mother Teresa because I was I, what I was going to mention about all of this was. Um, at the bookstore I worked at when I was in seminary, we sold a um, we sold a book called The Missionary Position, and <laughs> it's by Christopher Hitchens, and it's about Mother Teresa. Of course. And the the on the back of it, like there was, you know, people's comments, you know, endorsements of the book or whatever, and somebody said, you know, finally, finally, someone has come along to bring her down a notch. Or something to that effect. And I remember it's, it's like, is that is that an expectation now? Like that we that people just have to be brought down a notch. That that's just that's just what we do. Like that it just struck me as weird as though that's like an obligation in society that we're supposed to bring down people. Um, and it's like it's Mother Teresa for crying out loud. Like yeah, she struggled with belief. Yeah, she um, you know she sometimes had a tendency to reject technology and and stuff in order to in you know in order to streamline and simplify stuff in in the house that they were at but you know what she did she she found people who otherwise would be dying in gutters and gave them dignity you know let let them die as human beings not as garbage you know and so you're gonna take this person down a notch come on what have you contributed to the world christopher hitchens corners of reddit right (laughs) You've, you've, you've produced a bunch of books. Congratulations. You like to write. It's so funny that you write Christopher Hitchens because uh, I've actually been thinking about him a lot lately and how, like, a lot of people are, like, coming around to his bullcrap. Like, what do you mean coming uh, around to his bullcrap? Well, just a lot of people that, like, I follow, a lot of writers that I follow um, who probably would be considered, like, Christopher Hitchens-type mm-hmm. fanboys and fangirls. Are starting to like really speak out about uh, some of the things that because he was a big proponent of like you know a free speech. Mm-hmm. And people have been thinking about like like what would he be what would he say and, and you know during Charlottesville and stuff like that. Well, didn't he use didn't he didn't he regularly say like some bigoted stuff? He was insanely sexist. Yeah, um, he's, he was not a good person. Um, in case people are wondering, because for Hitchens is uh, or he was a writer, uh, well known atheist. Um, I don't really know how to, what what the classify him as. He's not like I mean I wouldn't put him. It's not like, like Dawkins because Dawkins was like a biologist or is a I mean, biologist. Doc, yeah, Doc, Dawkins the scientist. Christopher Hitchens he was such a writer. He was like a he's a douchier David Foster Wallace. <laughs> I'll put it to that way. Um, anyway, not to tangent, and that's guess what I, what I'm sort of getting at when we talk about like you you kind of realize that your your heroes are human. And that sometimes they can stumble and fall and, and 
uh, I don't know, make mistakes like we all do. And we kind of see the response to that. Some people would be like, see, not really a hero. But that's, I mean, that's not true. And it's, it's not really fair. Do heroes exist uh, without some form of a villain, without like a, an adversary? Or, I mean, what really makes a hero? Instead of just, I mean, we, we've kind of defined a hero who says he does good things and inspires other people to do things. But is there something, um, is it always like a life and death? situation is it always uh i don't know does it have to be huge i mean intellectual or philosophically i think about this and 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 you get into the trap of if you need the villain in order for the in order for the hero to be heroic then that means you have to have evil in the world like it has to exist in order for there to be such a thing as heroism so on one hand, it's fine. If we say that we live in a world where there's no more evil, then there's no more heroes. That's cool, right? You know, the idea of a hero working themselves out of a job, that's cool. I'm fine with that, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I go, and we'll, but talking about evil or, you know, an, an, you know, an antagonist or whatever, I think of um, the way C.S. Lewis talked about it was that evil is a good corrupted that when you look at anyone who's performing an act of evil, in their mind, they think they're doing something good. Very few people ever do acts of evil just to be evil. There's always some form of justification in their mind. They have to convince themselves that it's good in order for them to, to do their actions. And so, um, and so his whole thing is that evil cannot be seen as the, as like the equal opposite of good. That it's still right. subservient to good. It needs the good in order to exist. That without good, it makes no sense. The same way, like, for example, like, like lying. Lying needs the truth in order to work. So, so what you're talking about is Tim Burton's Batman movie. <laughs> how so? <laughs> With Batman and Joker. That was the whole message behind that movie. Right. Batman and Joker and how in that in that origin story, Batman created Joker, and in essence, Joker created Batman, and that the two needed each other to exist. Right. Dark Knight, the Dark Knight kind of also touches on that, right? Because that's the very end when Joker's hanging upside down. He makes that comment about, like, what happens when two objects of equal... Yeah, he are... Joker is an unstoppable force, and yeah. Batman is an unmovable object. Yeah. Yeah, but Dark Knight has a very different concept because it ends with the hero becoming the villain in everybody's eyes in order to remain the true hero. Right. Like that, that took a whole different, different turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, you're right. Yeah. Bat, yeah. Cause Batman, 1989 Batman deals with that sort of yin and yang concept with Joker and Batman being the yin and yang. Like they, they, they're the right. opposite sides of each other. Also, also the the message within a um, an often overlooked superhero movie that I know we all we all have a, a soft spot for, and that's Unbreakable. Oh yeah. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Um, the villain and heroes are usually friends. And how they're just two sides of the same the same coin. Yeah. Um, they're yeah opposite sides of a spectrum um it does make me wonder how it kind of relates to real life 
you know, like when you think of real life heroes and it's like, I don't know. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. That's a well, big thought. I, so I, I'm thinking and I, I, and I'm thinking of Carl Bart, um, you know, like you do. Um, <laughs> Carl Bart, his whole, <clears throat> his whole thing about where evil and all that in the world comes from is from the Nihil, because he's German, the Nihil or the nothing, which is sort of employed in the mo- in the book, The NeverEnding Story. But the idea is that, you know, when God created something, he all, in order for something to exist, nothing also had to be in existence, you know? So there's, so there is a, there is a sphere, the nothing, there is something, you know, because in order for, you know, a thing to have definition, there has to be a no thing. Um, right. In contrast. And so Bart says that it wasn't necessarily created by God. Like God didn't form nothing. It's a consequence of God creating something. So it says he didn't create it, but it's not unaccounted for in God's mind. Um, and that's, that's a thing I've been trying for years to wrap my head around because I think it's, brilliant um that effectively you know so that that we're put in this tension as humans you know we 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 tend to define ourselves by nothing rather than something is sort of the point he gets at there um but the point being is to what extent do these things have a relationship because i'm always going to want to say that evil is subservient to the good that evil is not necessary. But then that begs the question, is heroism always necessary? Or is it a phenomena of the world we live in now because we live in a world where there is something and nothing, where there's evil, therefore there there's goodness that that as you know that that if we begin to move toward a world or we, you know, as Christians, we believe that God is forming a world where there only is goodness. Then of course, like I said, heroism goes away because it's unnecessary. It's only something that we know in the world as we understand it now. Right. Um, so here's a, here's a philosophical question for you. Um, coming from a, a biblical perspective, um, you know, it, you know, Bible says, you know, apart from God, there is nothing, but it also says that God is, God is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there really such a thing as nothing? I mean, Bart, Bart would, Bart would say there is such a thing as nothing, but how could there be if God is, if God is infinite and he is all things and everything, um, how is there nothing? Well, because it's a no thing. Like, he can't be a no thing. If he's all things, he's all things, not... Right, but if there's an infinite all things, then there is no literal no thing. Right, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been, I've been trying to think about this stuff too, Matt. I'm just I'm, I'm sort of working, <laughs> I'm working through it out loud with you right now. I, <laughs> oh, no, 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 me too. Because I'm just saying, because you brought it up and it made yeah. me think, and you can edit this out, JP, if you're listening back and you're like, we just lost everybody who's ever listened to our show. No, but, so um, let me tell you a story, Matt. I was in, when I was in Jerusalem a few years back, have you, by the way, have you ever read, either of you, have you ever read um, A Year of Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs? 
I know. I, I know. Okay. I know of it. Highly recommend. But, Very funny but book. But before before you go off on that yeah. thought, remind me when you're done to to comment on the the hero villain thing again because okay. I I'm gonna try and remember another thought, but I want to hear yours. Okay. So keep going with your train of thought. So I'm just there, thinking about the Gamork. <laughs> well, the, the the reason that I the reason I mentioned the book by AJ Jacobs is because one of the characters in that book. So if any of our listeners ever read it. You'll know who Uncle Gil is. It's his eccentric Orthodox Jewish uncle who lives in in Jerusalem. And he has like a whole chapter about this guy. So I'm in so I'm in the Holy Land and I'm going to pray at the Western Wall. And there's this Orthodox Jewish man, but he's different than all the other Orthodox Jewish men that I see because he has like a black cowboy hat on instead of the normal flat brim black hat that all the other Jewish men are wearing. And Orthodox Jewish men. And he's got some disciple in like a white robe filming him. And he just approaches me and he says, long white hair, long white beard. And he's like, hey, let me ask you a question. Are you a Christian? And I was taken aback by it. And I'm like, yeah. And he starts, he starts to grill me. Anyway, during the process of co- talking with this guy, it dawns on me, this is Uncle Gil from A.J. Jacobs' book. And it was. I asked him and he, he said he was. Um, but I bring it up because one of the questions he asked me, he says, let me ask you a question. Is God everywhere? And sort of spur of the moment, I said, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess so, you know, whatever. And he said, okay, well, um, you believe that Jesus is God. And I said, yeah, I said, okay. So when Jesus was in the tomb, was God, was God there? And I said, well, but my faith says that, yeah, you know, God was there. And he says, okay, well, then if you rose from the dead and you say the tomb is empty, is God still in the tomb or whatever? I was some kind of, it was, it was bizarre like that. But it's, but it basically, Matt was getting to that same point of like, you know, reconciling this idea of where we, you know, in our language as Christians, we say that God is everywhere. But then we also equally will talk about places where God is not. Right. And I, I, you know, I'll tell you, one of my, um, when I've heard people pray before in like when praying for healing for people, I've heard the phrase, you know, we pray that you will, that, that God will remove anything that is not of him. And that prayer is always kind of, you know, I try not to judge people's prayers when I hear them, but you know, sometimes you think about the theology being implied there and like if god made everything then god made viruses god made all of that stuff so how can you say that it's not of god because god made it um anyway this is a whole tangent we could get on so um anyway this is just so i i'm i'm with you on the thought Matt. Me, Matt. um i'm with you on this matt i'm with you um but you said you wanted to you wanted someone to remind you about villains and heroes yeah, yeah, but these are the tangents we're here for. I'm loving it. <laughs> because I, I'm just having this whole you're you're opening my eyes to this concept that that the very idea of nothing is just it, it is something that exists only in our attempt to remove God. Because apart from God there is nothing, but we can't remove God. So the very concept of nothing is only my attempt to remove him. And therefore, the the nothingness the, uh, is is the the foundation for all of our our other our other sins and faults is our attempt to remove God. And if we realize right. that there is no nothingness, then we 
we would begin we would begin down the the road we're supposed to be walking on. Well, it's, you, just, it's it's an interesting concept. So so here's one here's something that blew my mind recently, Matt was um um you know, if you watch like if you watch Arrow or almost any superhero show or movie these days, you hear about the darkness, the darkness with, within, you know, like, you know, this whole language around darkness. It, it, I, I noticed it's a lot narrow. Um, and something that blew my mind recently, because, you know, we use darkness as euphemism for evil, right, for evil things. And we often talk about in Christian circles about bringing the light of God into this darkness and so on and so forth. And it was um, praying with someone who was sick. And while I was praying with them, I was sort of, I found myself kind of thinking of that language and then it, then suddenly, um, uh, the Psalm, uh, I think it, maybe it's Psalm 104. I can't remember which Psalm it is, but one of the Psalms, David, uh, David sings, um, that darkness is not dark to you. Um, to you, the darkness is as bright as the day. Um, and that, you know, basically, you know, God made the darkness. It goes back to Genesis one, one God, when God, you know, God created the, the light and the darkness. Um, so therefore God is in both. And so this idea that the light is where God is and the darkness is where God is not, which kind of goes to the point here, I guess we're talking about Matt is this idea of the, of the, of something versus nothing, you know, and the idea of whether or not there's such a, such a note, such a thing as nothing, but this idea that God is in both of these things and that the, and that really the thing for us as Christians, I think is to recognize where God is working in both light and dark places rather than to say like, Oh, God is here, but he's not over there. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Okay. No, it's, it's, um, it's that, it, it's an idea that I, I personally love discussing with people and find very interesting um, and it's talked about by by a lot of people, I think, but also somebody we talk about way too much because of me, and that's Rob Bell. Um, <laughs> he talks about the, you know the whole idea of when we pray and people are like, oh, and then and then God entered this place, and he's like, as though God wasn't there before that, right? Like, um, and he talks about like missionaries. We we brought God to these people. He's like, no, God was already there, right? Um, and how we just. <laughs> And how his ideas is we're just here to point God out and that he's right there. Right. Um, instead of this concept that God is, there's places where he's not. It's we're called to point out where he, where he's present there to show people, no, he's here. And right. here is where you can see it. Which is precisely um, what, which is precisely what, what, what St. Paul does um, in the sermon on Mars Hill. Yeah. Or is it the Areopagus? And he, and he, you know, I love that sermon because he talks about the Christian faith without once quoting the Bible. Right. You know, yeah, he, he points actually to uses, the, he points uses to the tomb of the unknown God. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that tomb of the unknown God, that's actually the God that you guys should be worshiping. Um, you know, and it's exactly that. He's been here all along. You just didn't recognize him. And that's right. really what this is all about. Anyway, we're, we're, I, I see JP's yeah. kind of glossing over here. <laughs> yeah, JP's been gone. As, as, as we're finally, uh, as, we're, as we're really getting to be masters of divinity again, this is what we live for. 
Well, well, can we well, get back here, to a Treyu and Gamork yeah, here, analogies? Because yeah. I yeah. Treyu and Gamork. Here, here's my here's my final statement on this tangent, and I'll leave you with this for our philosophical thought, and I'll leave you to ponder our our concept of nothingness. And and here's how I'd put the statement: If nothing truly exists, then it can't be nothing, because it, it's it a thing, can't. Right. It, it's it is a thing. Therefore, nothingness is not something that actually exists. It's just a concept we we have created to attempt to explain away what actually is. So there's my thought on that. You know, it's um, it's it's funny because I feel like we've kind of gone on a hero's journey, uh, which is how I think <laughs> we've arrived at this place. And I feel like we've arrived at a sort of a the the apotheosis version, or the apotheosis threshold. And Joseph Campbell's uh, monomyth. Um, for now, the sake now, of our listeners, because I totally now, know what I, you're talking about, but for the sake <laughs> of our listeners, JP, could you explain to them what the apiathis is? Now I've glossed over it just for the Because <laughs> we've started to kind of, because we, we've gone from talking about heroes to the sort of uh, more cosmic uh, philosophical thinking. Apotheosis is when man becomes God. Um. So I mean, have we gone from man to something higher now? Have we have we have we ascended? Here's uh, is that... we we have actually we've actually gone from man to everything and nothing, Jason. Hey. So, yes. You want to you want here's something. It's cool here's, stars. Here's something you want that 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 that's also been mind blowing for me lately in terms of what you're talking about, JP. Is we see often in Christian in a lot of Christian circles. And it, sometimes in more evangelical circles, I'll, I'll say I've noticed that probably I've noticed this more. But this idea that God has called, you know, that, that, that being human is flawed, right? That being human is to be a sinner. And so God is calling us into something that's more than human. You've heard that, right? Yeah. Right? Matt, you've heard that before, right? Yes. Yes. And what's recently what's recently dawned on me is that, you know, the incarnation, the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus became human means that part of what it, part of what it is all about is that by Jesus becoming fully human means that he becomes properly human. And that when we look at Jesus, he's not superhuman. He's not more than human. He is fully human. Like he's human in its fullness. And that, what we tend to live as is a, is a pale shadow of humanity. And so we're actually not called to be more than human. We're called to be more human. Hmm. So that's, there's, there's some for you too. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've heard, I've heard someone who, who shall not be named say it as Jesus came to show us how, what it means to be fully human. Right. You said that? Oh, so, yeah. Rob Bell. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, but anyway, heroes and villains, JP. Heroes well, and villains. How, how, does, how does that tie in, you guys? Like, how does that... Well, uh... well that's... It well, actually does kind of come back to the thought I, I said I wanted to, wanted to comment on. Um, the, the Batman movie talks about Joker and Batman and how one's a villain, one's a hero, and how they couldn't exist without each other. Um, there is kind of this common idea in some movies that, that runs through some of these superhero movies, other action movies, about whether or not heroes can exist without villains. Um, but my thought on it, 
and I've seen it in others, and I possibly even the Dark Knight movie is a good example, possibly, but I'm trying to think of that now, even as I'm talking. Um, but what I find more compelling and what I think is a better view of a hero is somebody who does not see anybody as a villain. They see ideas and things that go against humanity as wrong and they fight against those. And sometimes that means they come up against a person, but they see that person as somebody who needs to be redeemed if possible. And it doesn't mean they won't fight them. And it doesn't mean it doesn't always end without them having to end it, but they attempt everything they can not to because they see that person as, as kind of a victim of of a bigger concept are, of are, falling prey to a bigger ideology. Are you saying and that they're fighting against Matt? Are you saying that that a hero is someone who recognizes that um, their war is not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers? Exactly, and Father the... Chuck, and that's why that's why you're here because uh, I, I love when somebody else picks up on picks up on what I'm throwing out there. Um, but no, exactly, and and the at the sake of sounding horribly cheesy that's why in my idea the the concept of hero you go to you go to Jesus you look at the life that he lived and the way that he lived it and it doesn't mean that he didn't stand up against people at times it doesn't mean he doesn't call people out for for being wrong and doing wrong things but ultimately he sees everybody as people and all of them as needing the same thing and that's what he he lived for and ultimately died and, and rose again for is to to save people from these bigger these bigger concepts, which would be in our in our Christian language would be sin. Um, and that to me, you see it in in a lot of TV shows and stories. And I think a lot of the new Marvel shows play off that. Um there's some that are more the traditional, yeah, this guy's evil and he needs to be stopped. But you can kind of see these bigger concepts being tossed around where it's like, no, this guy, this guy is what we all could become. And if I can get him to see something better, then maybe I can save him from it. But if they can't, then in these movies and stuff, they have to stop it. So if they can't, then they have to fight him. But their goal is ultimately to see an end of of a bigger problem, a bigger issue, something deeper than this guy is a bad guy. It's like, no, this, this needs to stop. And I, I find that a much, a much more interesting and better story to, to discuss. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, we've talked about this before that redemption is far more compelling than defeat. And, um, and I think, yeah, go ahead. I uh, know, and I mean, and and in the real world, it's a very, a very real thing that we see that there are people that that at times have to be fought against. Like that's just inevitable because of the fact that we we live in the world that we live in. But ultimately, our goal should be, if when possible, to to seek redemption for all people rather than to to war against them. Right. Um, and that should be on every level from the, the smallest interactions we have to, to actual wars is everybody I come up against, my first and 
my first goal should ultimately be to seek redemption and and help um and if needed there there's times where we may have to fight but but the goal is is never that yeah i i and, and as you're talking about this it makes me think back to jp what you brought up about um charles ramsey um you know because we've talked about this before grace is grace is an important thing and we, you know, we and i've mentioned before you know we're a society that 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 lacks grace so here's charles ramsey somebody who did something good he risked you know he risked uh, uh you know himself in order to 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 you know to you know to to, to rescue these women basically and and then as soon as people started peeling back the layers and realized that he wasn't perfect, that that suddenly became a problem. And the reality, or the thing for us to really learn is that none of us are perfect. You know, every one of us, we could do the greatest heroic action, peel back enough layers, and someone's going to be able to uncover something messed up about all of us that we've done at some point in our lives. You Not know. me, just saying. Okay. Well, everyone but JP. Um, Please don't go look at my Twitter feed. But oh, do I have stories? Good. But, yeah, but so 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 the idea that somehow that diminishes Charles Ramsey's heroism yeah. is 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 a denial of a fundamental reality of the lives that we live as human beings right now that we make mistakes and that those mistakes should not negate necessarily the good things that we do um now i get that sometimes you know people's people's monstrous actions will negate you know depending on the kind of actions they do can negate any good they have but you know it's it's just again that what i was getting back to this idea that if we were going to set up to live the ideal of a hero you're setting yourself up for failure um but that shouldn't make you not do heroic things if you're put in the position to have to do them. Um, and at the same time, we as a people need to, we need to stop making idols and heroes out of each other. Um, I will say that I don't think I have any heroes um, for myself, you know, other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, like mythological people I can point to and say that that's a heroic character but I don't think I have a single person that I'm going to look up to and say, that's my hero because those people are going to let you down. And I don't think it's healthy to do that. You know, I can point it again. I can point at people and say that they were heroic. That was a heroic action, but I, I personally don't have heroes. And you know, you may be at a point in your life where you probably don't need one. I mean, I get, <laughs> yeah. I mean, from like a utilitarian <clears throat> standpoint of somebody who's like, in, who's inspires you or whatever. I, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't really have anyone that I aspire that I thought like a hero. Like I want to be them. Well, did you have any when you were a kid? Uh, real people. Real people. I mean, I had people I looked up to, but I don't know if I count that as a hero. Are we calling? Are we counting that as a hero? I mean, did you call them a hero when you were a kid? I mean, I probably did, but I was a kid. I was. I loved hyperbole. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, whether or not I ever considered... Hyperbole was the it's greatest right. thing in the world. It, it's all right. It's yes. all right. What I'm getting from this discussion, guys, is don't worry about it. Father Chuck, I, I'll be your hero. Oh, uh, thanks, uh, Matthew. Not, not the hero you need, or not the hero <laughs> that you want, but, but the one that you deserve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I, I, it's it's honestly, JP. It's hard for me to think because, like, I idolized Superman when I was a kid. And yeah. I idolize a lot of fictional characters, but I honestly think it's because I grew up without a dad, and that's just a tendency of guys without dads. They they tend to yeah. they tend to idolize fictional characters. But like, you know, I looked up to my grandfather. My grandfather was a great man. Um, I you know he took he taught me a lot of things. I, my youth pastor Eddie, growing up, I mean he was a major part of my life and a major influencing factor in my life. I mean I probably called him my hero at times, but but I but I don't know if I ever really thought of him as a hero like i never felt that that person rescued me or that that person you know i mean because it i guess it's hard for me because i never really i don't know i've just i've never i've never really i don't think i've ever really idolized anyone that's just something i've never really done like when i would watch videos of like when i watched like back in the day yo when i watched um michael jackson's moonraker a moonraker. Oh my gosh. Moonraker. <laughs> you mean moonwalker? Moonwalker. <laughs> Matt, you didn't hear me say that? I heard nothing. Um, um, moonwalker. I remember there's a concert footage in that and seeing these girls faint over Michael Jackson or like seeing those old, you know, videos of people fainting over the Beatles. I just, I never understood that. I've just <laughs> never been that kind of person. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's just some, like, I don't have the switch flipped in my brain that allows me to do that. You know, like I don't look down on people well, who feel well, that I way would, about I people. Would, I'm not high roading here. I just, I just don't, I personally just don't understand it. I, I don't look down on those people, but I would argue that people shouldn't have that switch. You shouldn't be fainting around other people <laughs> because you're that, <laughs> overcome by them yeah that's a little much um but i don't think it's wrong to i mean i don't think it's wrong to have those people you look up to like you said you had people you look up to um and i think that that comes back to there's this the the usage of the word hero and what it actually means and i think that there's like different levels of how we use the word so like mm-hmm. i don't think it's wrong to be like oh yeah for me to, to be oh yeah my dad's one of my heroes but but do I mean hero in the ultimate sense of the word? No, because he's human, and I realize that and know that he's got faults and things that that the people are going to disappoint you. It's just inevitable. But um, but yeah, so so it's just it's it's a it's a huge concept, and I think that there's heroes in the sense of like people that we personally look up to and we want to be like them, so they're like a hero to us. And then there's a hero, which is uh, is a totally different concept entirely. And I don't know if there are many um, people who, who could be labeled with that term legitimately, um, because it, it is such a big, a big concept to be a hero. And like you said, there's people who do heroic things, but does that make them a quote unquote hero? Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And 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 it's I think a topic that's also tossed around on these Marvel shows, and that's all I can think about right now because I'm been watching a ton of them trying to get uh, caught up so I can watch the Defenders, which I finally did get caught up, but I'm only halfway through the Defenders, so don't say anything about it. <laughs> I haven't I haven't watched any of them except for oh, three yeah. episodes of Daredevil uh, oh, season oh, one. So so disappointing. Yeah, so disappointing. Um, <laughs> I'm halfway through the Defenders now. It's good, by the way. But, uh, but yeah, all these Marvel shows, kind of the running theme of it is none of them 
And, you know, we've talked before, we can, you kind of get tired in, of seeing in movies the, the hero that doesn't want to be a hero. It kind of gets old after a while. But I do think the Marvel shows do it in a better way because I think it's more dealing with what we're talking about here. It's not that they don't want to be heroes, meaning they don't want to go out and do the stuff that heroes do. They don't want to be seen as heroes because they see that as something so much more than what they are. Well, that's kind of been Marvel's mo since like the '60s. There, there are people that that want to do heroic things, but like it, it's it's hard. <laughs> like it doesn't come easier natural to them. Right, but but and, that's and, and it affects them emotionally right, and, and mentally. Right, but that's the that's the thing that that most movies that I've seen it done. Most movies play off that idea, and it kind of gets stale after a while. The idea of like. It's so hard being the hero. The reluctant hero. I don't hero. know if I'm. Yeah, um, the the current shows I think do a better job, and not so much. Jessica Jones is more flat out that, but it's yeah. she's just cool. Like she's more flat <laughs> out. I don't want to do this because it sucks, and I I want to do what I want to do. So it's just done in a more entertaining and deeper way. But the other ones like Luke Cage um, and Daredevil. They want to do the hard stuff. They want to go out there. They're willing to give up everything for it. They just don't want to be called heroes because they see that as something above them. So it's like a different take on it where it's not, oh, I don't want to be a hero because that's too much responsibility. They're like, no, I'm willing to do the responsibility and to take that on. I just don't know if I live up to being a hero. You didn't mention Iron Fist in that group. <sighs> He's Danny Rand. Is he Danny um, Rand? Is he? Oh Danny my gosh! Rand? What I find hilarious is I think his first line in the Defenders is "I'm Danny," oh, well. and I'm like, "Oh, you've got to be kidding me!" Um, <laughs> okay, well, I think that's a good place to uh, to end this week's episode. Do you guys have any uh, final thoughts on on heroism or heroics or heroes? Well, you know, I do. I do have some thoughts, JP, on heroism. You know. As all this talking, I realized we didn't talk about the inherent heroism um, in in Jake Sully um, when he when Jeez, he embraced oh the Navi life and oh you know risked right. his risked his humanity. Good night, yeah, for everybody. A <laughs> for, for a second, I thought you were going to talk about that. I thought that was the pilot. I was like, oh, he wants to talk about the the dude who landed the plane. That's cool. Yeah. Full disclosure. So did I. Because <laughs> oh, isn't funny. that his name? Isn't it Jake Sully? No, I don't know. Jake, Jake, it's Sully, right? Um, but he was um, he was a pilot. He flew a banshee. Okay, um, all right. A Leonopteryx, and yeah. good journey. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, okay. Uh, thank you uh, for for listening, uh, audience. Uh, Father Chuck, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Matt Wells, thank you. You're welcome. And uh, tune in next week. Um, we'll hear more about Jake Sully, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, have a great week and good journey. Good, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, I, right. I guess I'm still recording. But uh, let's not forget. Um, <laughs> no one JP's recording one. Shut up. Um, let's not forget to. Um, Depending on when this is airing and everything that's happened, you know, we're recording before, but it'll air after um, Hurricane Harvey hits Texas. Oh, right. 
So please keep the people of Texas in your prayers and um, and help out in any way that you can because I'm they're going to need lots of help. Yep. Uh, stay strong, Texas. I know you will. Again, uh, thank you and tune in next week. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey. Take your picture